All right, everybody, before we dive into today's episode, we are brought to you by two headline sponsors, the first one being Elite Sweets. Elite Sweets is redefining the way we think about sweets with their Elite Donuts. The Elite Donut is a better-for-you donut that is packed with 13 grams of protein. They're gluten-free, keto-friendly, and contain only one gram of sugar. These have become a staple in our house as we look to have a healthy diet and want products that if we do feel like having that sweet or you know having a cheat meal or just a cheat snack, um, something that's not going to completely ruin our diet. So Elite Sweets have become that. Uh, it's a donut. It tastes delicious. It tastes just like those shitty donuts that you're used to growing up, except these ones are, are high in protein, gluten-free. They're keto-friendly for all you keto dieters out there. And most importantly, in my mind, uh, they only contain one gram of sugar. So get yours today at EliteDonut.com or on Amazon. If you use code ShaneWhite30 at checkout, you'll get 30% off your order. And that code works on both Amazon and EliteDonut.com. Again, that code is ShaneWhite30, all one word, and you'll get 30% off your order. Today's episode is also brought to you by Routine. When we sleep, we lose between a pound and a pound and a half of water, mostly just from sweating while you sleep, which is something... I did not know before I started working with the guys over at Routine. They've come up with a product that they call Morning Routine. It's a single-serve packet that I take every morning, and it contains half an organic lemon, one tablespoon of apple cider vinegar, Himalayan sea salt, all six essential electrolytes, and most importantly, no sugar. Most people wake up, they grab that cup of coffee first thing in the morning. What most people don't realize is if you wake up dehydrated, which is easy to do when you, uh, when you wake up from a, a long night's sleep, uh, your body sweats and expels a lot of vapors while you're sleeping. Instead of grabbing that cup of coffee, try grabbing a morning routine packet. Each of these, as I mentioned, um, is made up of all these great ingredients that helps rehydrate you in the morning, get your metabolism going once again, uh, I just take one of these little, there's little single serve packets, tear one open, throw it into, you know, just a shaker bottle or 20 ounces of water, shake it up and drink it. First thing in the morning, you feel a difference. You really do feel hydrated again. You can tell the difference when you use the product and then go off of it again, the difference you feel first thing in the morning. Routine, trusted ingredients, made convenient. You can go to yourroutine.com and use code ShaneWhite30. Again, Shane White 30, same coupon code as the last brand, Elite Suites. If you use code Shane White 30 at checkout on yourroutine.com, you can get 30% off your first order. All right, everybody. I have a great guest coming up next, and I will talk to you in just a second. Use the video uh, too, or just for clips? Yeah, or, yeah, I would yeah. like to use the video if you're cool with that. I usually put it, um, put it on YouTube. Uh, I'll put a clip on LinkedIn and all the social platforms and TikTok and all that fun stuff. So yeah, sweet, awesome. Well, welcome to another episode of the Shane White Show. I'm pumped today to have Mike Fada on the podcast. Mike, welcome to the show, my friend. Yeah, thanks, man. Good to uh, good to be here. I appreciate you taking the time to come on. Um, for everyone listening who doesn't know who you are, would you mind just giving a, you've done a lot of things, so I, you could go on for a long time, but would you mind giving everyone just a brief overview of, of you? 
Yeah, for sure. You know, I, um, based out of Winnipeg, uh, Manitoba, Canada, and, uh, been an entrepreneur for 25 years now. Um, uh, dropped out of school, which led me to work in construction, which got me into, uh, got me motivated in business. And then after a uh, hundred pound weight loss, I, I got interested in health and started Manitoba Harvest back in 1998. And we commercialized hemp foods and over 20 years grew that business to a hundred million dollars and uh, successfully exited it, uh, three years ago. And then in the last three years, I've reinvented myself, uh, to be, you know, an investor, advisor, mentor, um, and board chairman. Um, and so doing a lot of things now with a number of different companies, uh, but you know, it's been, it's been a good 25 year journey. Yeah, no, definitely. I'd love to start. I know a lot of people in the CPG space probably know you more so for your recent investments and being a part of like the hat you're wearing midday squares and some of those, you know, more public brands. But I know me personally, I actually, I think I came across you from your Manitoba harvest days as hemp and that whole space. And Tilray was like a big, just a big company. I was a big follower of, especially when they went public. Um, would love to know more about Manitoba harvest. I think that's such a cool story that I think I've heard you talk about maybe once or twice, but how did you get into it? Where, where did like that all come from and how I would love to just even know the beginning stories of that massive business you were able to create. Yeah. Um, you know, I, uh, I wasn't educated about health when I was young and I felt prey to the fast food movement. And I found myself at 18 years old, weighing 300 pounds. And, um, and, and then I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. I, I started my, uh, my health journey and that health journey went to a, a no fat diet, um, which I learned the hard way about essential fatty acids. Okay. And I, and then I learned about hemp, uh, and the essential fatty acids in hemp seed. And I really fell in love with the nutritional properties of, of hemp and, um, co-founded Manitoba Harvest with two uh, entrepreneurs that were um, hemp activists that were um, that worked to get hemp legal in Canada. Uh, and uh, and then from there, just, you know, I, I, I super fell in love with hemp seed and hemp seed oil. And I went around to like the first health food store and sold it. And then and then to, you know, the cons- the, the, the friends around my gym that I was working out and got them all excited. And, you know, slowly but surely, organically, we grew ourselves into being the global leader in in hemp food products. So based in Winnipeg, and um, you know, by the by the end of the twenty years, and and at a hundred million dollar company, we we had two manufacturing facilities uh, totaling six, you know, about eighty thousand square feet, um, wow. uh, certified to the highest level of uh, food safety and food quality certification sold our products to about 16,000 retailers, uh, in Canada and the U S. So basically all channels except convenience, but all the big guys, uh, um, and and then as well exported to about 20 countries around the world. And, um, it just learned a tremendous amount as an entrepreneur through that whole journey. Um, we, um, we were very fortunate that we sold the company, uh, twice, uh, once, uh, in 2015, uh, um, we sold the majority to a private equity sponsor. Um, and then, uh, and then when the cannabis, uh, boom really started to happen here in, in Canada, I saw the opportunity and, uh, uh, and helped to, to, um, put the deal together with, uh, Brendan Kennedy and Tilray at the time. And so Tilray bought Manitoba Harvest, um, in, uh, February of, uh, of 2019 for a $419 million transaction. Wild, wild. Yeah. And when you got into this in 1998, I mean, were you just kind of trying to learn yourself? And it must have been like that was the early, early days of of all that legislation changing, wasn't it? If I did my yeah, research correctly. Yeah, everything was brand new. Yeah. So hemp was illegal in Canada to grow uh, from 1936 uh, up until 1998. 1998 was the first year that uh, 
we got hemp legal again to grow. So it literally was, you know, we planted hemp seed with the first farmer, uh, you know, produced some of the first bottles of hemp seed oil and, 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 and ultimately hemp hearts was our product, sold it to one health food store. And yeah, as a, as an entrepreneur, I kind of, I learned, uh, everything right from the ground up. Um, uh, you know, I had the benefit of working uh, because I, I'd left school and started working when I was 14. I already had six or seven years of working, uh, construction and kind of understood business from, from that standpoint. Uh, uh, but all, as it related to hemp, I was just super passionate about it. I thought, you know, I always thought hemp was cool. Uh, and then I found out that, you know, the, the seed was so nutritious and I was like, mm-hmm. it had made an impact in my diet and made me feel better when I started eating it. And, and, and I heard that from others that I started to, to give the products to all these testimonials came in and, and, uh, and then the fact that, you know, hemp and cannabis were related, but hemp was kind of, uh, outlawed. Uh, I thought it right. was, you know, we were fighting for, uh, fighting for justice, fighting for freedom at the same time. And so all, all that kind of led together and, and, and I, it was just a huge passion project for me. I, I I don't think that I ever imagined when we first started how big the company could be. Uh, you know, I really thought a million dollars was going to be success. Uh, sure. And, uh, yeah. and then, you know, it just or- organically grew and grew and grew. Was, um, was it overwhelming how fast it grew? I mean, 20 years is a long time, but I'd be curious. No, to know if, I, you know, I think no. just because it was such a, it was a new industry, right? And, and, uh, and we didn't, you know, you see, kind of, um, unicorn companies or, or companies that can grow really, really quick, quickly. We, we didn't like we, um, it took us five years to get to our first million dollars in sales. Um, okay. and then from year five to 10, we went from 1 million to 10 million in sales. And then the, 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 you know, from year 10 to 20, we basically grew 10 million a year and went from 10 to a hundred. So that, that part of the ramp was, was definitely, um, uh, dynamic, you know, but I think that we had the right foundation because of the kind of maybe more methodical, slow growth, uh, before that, we were, we were really prepared for it. And, uh, um, and, uh, and so it, you know, it all, it all worked out not to say it's not without stress and many, 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 uh, like 80 now 90, hundred hour work weeks. But, uh, um, you know, that's, I, I there was nothing else that I wanted to do at the time, especially as sure. we really, really started to create success. Yeah. And when you started that, did you also put a, like, did you have a team around you? Like, did you, or was it kind of you alone as a founder? Did you have like a partner or a few Well, founders? we had the two, yeah, we had the, the uh, there's three co-founders, uh, Martin Moravchik and Alex Schwesky were the other two. Um, they were with the business for the first, um, eight years, um, up until we were about a, uh, uh, eight, about a eight or eight, eight or $9 million company. Um, at that point we, um, and we had some shareholders. We raised some small capital, friends and family, and stuff. But at that point, we we raised venture capital. Avrio Ventures was the firm that invested, and uh, and at that time, we um, you put a proper governance structure together, board of directors. Um, I started to really hire my my senior management team, um, senior leadership team, and uh, and Alex and Martin both uh, decided to leave the company uh, then. Got it. And and so I, I think there was kind of the um, you know, before the institutional, uh, backed company and then, and then after, and, uh, and, um, and that's kind of what I do now, right. I, I, I hook up with founders that have, have a great idea, great product or have done a great thing and they got it to a certain level. Uh, and then we come and make investment and, and really help establish a team and that governance and, and prepare the company. Cause after, after 10 million in sales, that, 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 growth from 10 to a hundred million or 10 to 50 million is really all about structure, organization, team, system, process. And, and so Mantle Harvest went through that, uh, you know, uh, and, that, and that's, that's really where I, I learned a lot about, uh, proper 
kind of executive leadership. Makes a ton of sense. When they left and you were, you were kind of left there, did you end up bringing in some folks from the industry that had broader experience or did you, how did yeah, you kind I mean, of go I, that when, when we professionally, there's kind of three different levels of team that, uh, over the years, you know, the first, I'll call it our first team was anyone that was crazy enough that they wanted to work for a hemp food company, you know, sure. um, yeah. kind of level two is when we got uh, a venture backed and I would say more professionally managed, it was still early for, for hemp. Uh, but then we started, we did start to get to people that were like, Hey, I worked at general mills before. And, and this company looks, um, uh, looks like an opportunity for me, not, not a, uh, not a risk. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, and, and, and then, you know, that grew. And then when we, when we brought in private equity, um, uh, that was in 2015, um, we, we, we even increased the level of the, of the leadership team again. And at that point, you know, you had, you had everyone in the senior leadership team from sales, marketing, ops, and finance were all heavy hitting executives that came from big, food CPG companies that had done it before. Got it. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. I feel like that's a, there's kind of an inflection point where I'm sure that that's really important at that scale. I mean, going from 10 to a hundred, that's a yeah, huge it's a, it's a learning from, from myself. When I was a young entrepreneur, I thought like hire anyone that, that will show up and be part of the team and get it, you know, and get it done. Yeah. And now, and nowadays I'm like, hire someone that's done it before and, and can, and can really vision of doing it again. Uh, there's too much risk at, at, in a high growth company of uh, bringing in team members that, that you give an opportunity, but they, uh, they haven't really already proven that they've done it before, especially sure. at that level. Yeah. I know when I was at RX bar, I was at RX bar, like right before that acquisition with Kellogg. And, uh, I'll never forget. It was just like, we went through so much growth and it's such a small window of time that everyone, all, it seemed like overnight, everyone had a huge team and we were like, it was just a wild zero to one of like going from this you know, I came in, I would call it the end of the real true startup-y phase. Um, but then in two years, we were a totally different place. And going from, you know, 50 or 60 people to 300 people, uh, it's like a monumental change in how the structure of the organization works. I'm sure you guys were way bigger than that. Yeah, we well, we had 200 and uh, we had 225 um, team members altogether because we were owned manufacturing, you know, a good two thirds of the team was in operations and manufacturing operations. And, and because we were also, uh, we had farm operations. So we were selling genetics to farmers and, mm -hmm. and working the, you know, grow, we grew 75,000 acres of hemp at the, wow. at the peak. And so, um, uh, a lot of the team, you know, about only about a third of the team was like sales marketing and kind of, uh, office admin and, and the, the other two thirds were farm operations and, and operations. But yeah, you know, when you start, when you start to put in structure, you know, it's that classic thing, like the, um, you're just a bigger ship, you know, you need policies, procedures. It doesn't, doesn't turn as fast. You, you know, new innovation has to go through a whole stage mm -hmm. gate process and, uh, there's just too much, too much to risk to do it. The, uh, the startup kind of way. And, uh, um, you know, I think it's a challenge for a lot of entrepreneurs. It was a challenge for me to kind of, um, switch the mindset and get into that kind of professionally managed, professionally backed kind of company. Uh, Definitely. No, I'm sure. Yeah. Especially since you hadn't done it before. Right. That was like your first endeavor of doing it. What was like the biggest surprise or, or roadblock or hurdle, whatever you want to call it that you felt like you dealt with in those first, you know, call it 10 years. Yeah, I mean, we had a lot of obstacles. So I think it was like when we hit some major obstacles, like the DEA uh, declaring a war on hemp foods right after we launched in the U.S., even though yeah. 
you know, they didn't, they didn't have the legal means to do it, but it was, it just created a lot of confusion. Those were things that like, it took a couple of years of, uh, of working through that. Uh, and, and al- alongside the hemp industry association, other hemp food companies, we took them to court and, and, uh, and won that court case against the DEA. But like, the, the, you know, a couple of years is a lot of time to be in, in unknown. And, and we were out there just oh, doing yeah. what we could, which is, is pounding the pavement, kind of educating, uh, educating the trading, getting people on our side. But, uh, you know, some of those big, big obstacles, when I look back, were huge milestones to cross. You know, when, when 2004, when the Ninth Circuit Court uh, uh, ruled in favor of the Hemp Industry Association, it, it opened the door for that next next phase of, of kind of growth and uh and, you know, besides that, I'd say in general, like just, you know, the, 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 the food and beverage business is really tough. Like there's a lot of things to learn and, uh, and learning how, how distributor networks work and how retailers work and, and, uh, and the omni-channel approach online D to C, like all the different aspects of selling, you know, regulatory governance, all that to, to bring a food and beverage product to market. Um, um, it takes a lot. That's why people that are have experience with companies that especially that have, have grown uh, or they're classically trained by, uh, you know, by a Kellogg's, by General Mills, uh, very valuable individuals um, because it, it is, uh, it, there's, there's a lot to learn in the industry. Yeah, no, definitely. It makes a lot of sense. Was it a big hurdle going from just a Canadian business to expanding into the United States? You know, it was a lot of differences there. I tell most entrepreneurs nowadays, like, don't, don't go international too soon. We, you know, we were, we were in a time, it was a lot different then, you know, we launched the business in 1998 and in 2000 and 2000. So in 2001, we launched in the U S and we were, we were only doing like a half a million dollars in sales uh, total at that time. And, oh, wow. you know, and so way too small to actually go and launch in the U S but we just thought that we, there was, I, I had the view then there was a limited um, customers interested in hemp foods and we had to kind of go where the customers were. Uh, which I've, I've, I've learned and changed that tune, you know, saying, if you create a product that's good enough, you should, you should be able to be a successful kind of $1 million business in your own local community first, before you ever think about getting, going out of province, going out to a different state, never mind going kind of international, you know, it's interesting. It's a, okay. One those, it's one of those shiny object things that entrepreneurs look and say, Oh, we should be doing that. Yeah. And also doing that too. And, and that, that's, it's, it's dangerous, right? We want to go in, in CPG and, in, and especially in food an inch wide and a mile deep, like do what you do at close to home, do it well. And then, and then after you do that well and, and you prove success, you'll always have the chance to, uh, to expand. Love that. That's really good advice for anyone listening. Um, I know from just my experience too, that, uh, I don't know what, I don't know about going from Canada to the U S if it's easier or harder, but I know going from the U S to Canada was a lot harder for us than we realized. Like there were so many things we just did not know, um, that we figured out the hard way. Yeah, both different. I mean, both markets are different. I think Canadian companies uh, see the market size and opportunity in the U.S. Um, it's just it's a very aggressive market in the U.S. And then U.S. companies, um, you know, there's there's opportunity, but a lot of U.S. companies say, "Hey, the U.S. market's so big, why don't we should just really, you know, you could become a, a multi hundred million dollar company in the U.S. before ever leaving." And that focus may be good because coming to Canada, all of a sudden you're dealing with French English labels. Yeah different regulations from health Canada than there are from the FDA. Like it's, it it makes the business more complex. Uh, But in saying that I've seen a number of brands that, um, that go early into Canada quite simply because a lot of categories in, in food and especially natural products aren't as developed in Canada as they are in the U S and it, and it leaves an opportunity example, like dream pops, one of my portfolio companies Mm -hmm. launched relatively early in Canada. Um, but that, but that frozen novelty category that they were in, 
there, there was holes, there was opportunity for them. And they, and so they, they quickly got uh, national distribution in Canada and, and, it, and it became a, uh, uh, you know, a sizable part of uh, a op- sizable opportunity for their for their business, and uh, I've seen that in in some other categories, so maybe category specific, but uh, uh, but there is other complexities, you know. Uh, yeah, cross, cross border never makes it easier. Uh, no, definitely not. We learned that whole uh, the French labeling the hard way. Yeah, we yeah. We, <laughs> yeah. we were like, let's let's launch it and see if we get in trouble, and we got in trouble immediately. So that that's something the Canadians don't don't. Uh, Let's slip through the cracks. Yeah, especially with size. You know, like if you're small, maybe you can get away with it. As soon as you have some size, then you're you're on the radar for sure. Definitely, definitely, very interesting. And f- so for you, I mean, obviously, we could probably talk for days about you know, the 20 years you spent there. Um, what ultimately, towards the end, for you, like I always think it's so interesting listening to founders who have exited. Um, I'm sure you had countless conversations and talked to lots of people on what to do, but there must have inevitably been a fork in the road where you're like, I could, I could run this as, you know, a family quote unquote business and scale it. And if it's profitable, I'll just keep going and going and going where I could sell it. Do you remember back when you were kind of going through that decision process, some of the things yeah, you were you, thinking of and why you, you went know, the route you did? Yeah. You know, and I talk to young entrepreneurs about this nowadays, like if you're, if you're creating a legacy business, um, your, your, your shareholder and your cap table structure have to have to align to that. As soon as you start, as soon as you start taking on shareholders that are outside of your family, um, most likely, um, you're, it's going to lead to one day, um, having to sell the business to, to create liquidity for those shareholders. Uh, more specifically, when you take on an institutional shareholder, um, there's usually a set timeline. And, and so we had that, um, that led to the, um, led to the first sale. Avrio Ventures was clear when they invested, you know, they had a seven year maximum timeline timeline in their fund. And so, you know, they were invested for six years. We had grown the business from 9 million bucks to like 50 and, and everyone agreed like, Hey, it's time to go and, and, uh, and find a, a suitor for the business. Me personally, as, as the CEO at that time, um, I, and the founder, I, I felt like, um, I was good to sell the business. I'd worked already 15 years in it. Um, mm-hmm. if we found that right offer and it was good for all the shareholders, but I'd also, if we found the right, um, financial sponsor and, and they bought a portion of the company to buy out the shareholders, I would keep going. And, and ultimately that was the right deal that we found after running a full auction. And so I had the benefit of, of continuing on and, and we used the, uh, we used the private equity <clears throat> sponsorship to, uh, to, to, um, buy our, our, my big, our biggest competitor one of my friend's companies, Hemp Oil Canada, for a forty-two million dollar transaction, and that that wow. really helped to really help to set the business up further for for growth, and and then and then you know they just timing is everything, and and when when Canada legalized recreational cannabis and Tilray and and Canopy and all the big uh, publicly traded companies literally had billions of dollars on their balance sheet, and they had to to do something with it for growth. I knew that you know, our hemp food company that was in the non-regulated space, um, that had this promise of CBD too, was coming about, uh, the U S just legalized hemp. Um, the, the FDA, uh, had given us grass certification generally regarded as safe on hemp hearts and oil and protein, which we we had lobbied for three years to, to get, but the day, the day after Trump signed the farm bill, the FDA granted that grass certification. And so I, I just, I could, it was very clear to me that like the timing could not be more right if you put all those things together. And, and that's why, you know, it was like a, a six week, uh, uh, six week transaction to get that deal done. That's Whoa, one. was it really? And, yeah. And it just, just, and, and so, you know, there's a lot to timing and, uh, in, in, in businesses to, to be really, uh, mindful of. 
So do you look back now that you're a few years away from that and, and you still think that was an awesome move and you're happy for to sure. do it, I'm sure, right? hundred percent. Well, I mean, we yeah. just went through it again in one of my portfolio companies, Soul Cuisine. Uh, you know, so Soul Cuisine is the, uh, is one of the oldest plant-based protein companies in, in Canada based out of Toronto. And, uh, I joined there as a, as an investor and, and chairman of the board, uh, three years ago. So just after, uh, you know, just just around the same time we were we were we were exiting Manitoba Harvest and uh, and we grew that business and built a new factory and you know plant based protein foods just you know took off and and um, and um, and then we had a suitor that that chased the business and and uh, and we just we timing was just really right for that business we we sold uh, Soul Cuisine in February of this in February 2020 to uh, for um, for 125 million dollar cash transaction. Wow. And then if you look at what's happened to the market since then, you know, and, and all the other competitors in plant-based protein foods and beyond meat and so on, it, you know, it kind of fell off a cliff after that. And, and not to say it's not going to come back, but the timing was just really, really right. And, and, uh, and so maybe as a, as a founder and as an entrepreneur that's been in the space for 25 years and, and well-read and, and kind of well-watched in the space, I just, I could sense that timing and, and, uh, and so I've kind of got it right three times now, you know? Yeah. I was going to um, say you, you, yeah. do you gamble or anything? You do yeah, that anywhere else? <laughs> no, I, I, I like, I like growing, uh, I like growing things, growing personally, uh, growing as an entrepreneur, growing businesses, uh, uh, you know, and, but you know, it, it, I've learned over the years to be, um, well-read, you know, like understand what's going on in the market, what's the market conditions, uh, economic conditions kind of play into that, uh, competitive landscape. Like, I think if you're, if you're in the business, you got to be really in the business. And, and it's kind of one of the reasons I think that entrepreneurship is a, is a lifestyle, you know, you, oh, yeah. it's, you gotta, you gotta be looking at the 360 degree view and, and I, and I've witnessed actually the opposite side of, I've seen some friends, uh, companies over the years that, missed that timing. Um, and then kind of went over the waterfalls and, uh, and then there's, there's no coming back from that. Right. When the, right. when the value isn't as strong anymore, uh, a year later or two years later, sometimes you just never get it back. And, and sometimes you can't even get to, uh, to that exit or to the liquidity place. Right. Yeah. I was gonna say, I've seen that. And I've talked to a few people on this podcast that just mi- miss exactly what you're talking about and tried to sell late. And like, once you see that dip, it's, the investment story is not the same, right? It's, and it'll probably never be the same unless you can build it up even bigger than, than pre um, kind of that fall off. Right. Yeah. Um, I think one of the questions I've always wanted to ask someone in your position is, so you, I mean, you had a lot of success at Manitoba harvest and then now you've had a few others. How did you decide to allocate resources to investing into brands? I think a lot of people that listen to this, and just people in my ecosystem, that's been a big, a lot of questions I get of just like, I mean, a lot of people I would, that I interact with would say, you know, the resources that they have to invest, they're going to go to like the public market. How, how did you make decisions on just like, you know, you want to go back to younger startup brands and invest in those. And how did you even get in to start to do that? Um, I think anyone listening would find a lot of value in just like how your process of even starting this down this journey of investing in, in portfolio brands began. Yeah. Um, you know, it was quite clear to me at a hundred million bucks that, uh, I, I wasn't fit to, to, um, to run that company. It, it wasn't as fun. Uh, and I thought to myself, you know, what, what was my funnest, what was the, the best time for me in the business? And the best time was that kind of venture growth space, that $10 million at $10 million, you're the, the companies are the right size to, to raise venture capital, start that, um, professionalization of the business, hire the, what I'll call the million dollar management team, like the senior management team of, of, of qualified individuals that have done it before start to make 
significant investments on innovation, on, on sales, on marketing. And, and it's just a really fun time if you get it right. And so um, I thought, Hey, that'd be a great place to play. I, I don't, I'm not an angel investor because startup life is like, I, I know how impossible it is and, and I wish the best for everybody. Um, but I, I, I didn't, I, I didn't want to be, I've, I have those scars and, and I didn't want to be one. I didn't want to do it myself again. Um, mm-hmm. And, and two, I think, you know, I just tell entrepreneurs, this could be the best thing, but you know, uh, keep growing and maybe we'll see you in the future. And then, and then my investment thesis from there became really simple. It, it um, you know, because I'm a, I'm a solopreneur, you know, a mini family office uh, of just investing myself, not, not as part of a fund or any other funds. Um, I could take my time. And so, you know, I, my investment thesis is uh, products that I enjoy in my house. Um, and I'm in the natural product space. I'm, I've been a natural product consumer for 25 years. Uh, I find products that I really love. And then I think, wow, uh, a lot more people are going to love this product. They just haven't learned about it yet. You know, oh, yeah. and, uh, you know, midday squares is one of those examples, right? I, I, I met the crew there uh, three years ago now, and they were, you know, a million, $2 million business. And, and I just tried the product. I was like, this product is great. Uh, these entrepreneurs are crazy bold putting themselves out there. It's just, yeah. they just need some support, uh, investment support and also time and, and, uh, and some mentorship to grow. And, and, you know, it's going to be, has the potential of being a hundred million dollar business. And I could see that kind of at, at a $2 million business, you know? And, and, yeah, uh, definitely. and so, um, yeah, it's just, it's a fun, it's a fun, I'm very comfortable in the space. Um, I, because I'm a, I'm a governance, uh, expert and, and, uh, you know, I've done 25 years of nonprofit national nonprofit board work, uh, my own board work now, now being on boards of, you know, 10 different natural product uh, companies. Um, I can help businesses to kind of professionalize themselves at that level. And, uh, um, yeah. And so it's, it's kind of, it's taken a while, like now three years. Um, but you know, I have 10 companies in the portfolio and, uh, and I feel like, you know, many of them are just so well on their way for, for those, you know, success. And for me, success, I use this term that nine figure exit, you know, like, can you, okay, I got three figures. of them under my yeah. belt already, but like, can you, can the business be, it can grow up enough to, you know, hit, you know, 30, 40, 50 plus million in sales and, and have a nine figure exit. And, and that's, you know, I kind of look for that uh, opportunity because I like growth and, and I want a good return on my capital if we are successful. Cause some of that, you know, it takes five years, seven years, sometimes it can take 10 years, you know? Right. Yeah. So for everyone listening, I mean, is your, so your investments are, are all long-term plays, right? Cause they're going to be locked up in these companies and the yeah, hope it's private. someday they sell. Yeah. yeah. And, and outside that, you know, your second part of the question, like why not in the public market? Hey, you know, when I when after we sold the company and I had uh, my, my, my um, personal capital and, and financial advisors and I'm like invest in the, in the stock market. I, I did that for a bit. And, uh, and I could tell you that I, I, I probably went through that classic case of, I didn't like uh, making money off the companies I was making money off of. Okay. Yes. Like I don't drink Coca-Cola, so I don't care how good the Coca-Cola stock would do and dividends and reward. I, I felt like dirty when I made money off of that. And so the only um, public companies that I um, invest in um, is, um, and I do that directly, not through, not through a broker uh, or not through a, uh, you know, money manager is companies that I, the brands that I enjoy, you know? Like Royal Bank is I've I've banked with Royal Bank for 25 years. One of the leading banks in Canada does really well. You know, yeah, I, I could be a Royal Bank shareholder for the rest of my life because I'm going to probably be a Royal Bank customer for the rest of my life. Air Canada would be another one. You know, a business like an Apple. I, I my whole house is outfitted with Apple stuff. I I love Apple. I think there's future in Apple. Amazon. You know, like think brands that I actually. I'm not saying any of those businesses are perfect or they're the great example, but they are, they are things that I find in my house and I, and I can relate to them and, and, and then I can base my kind of investment and business decision off of that. 
That's great. Yeah. I always tell people that if anyone's like stuck on like where to start, I'm like, yeah, just look around your house. Like what, what are the things that you have and you like learn about the company? Um, go follow the news of what they're doing and what their financials look like each quarter. You'll learn a lot about the products you have around your house. I love that. That's a great, it's some great advice. Yeah. Do you, do you feel like you're, it sounds like just from talking to you today, you lean heavier to wanting to put more of your resources towards, you know, the better for you food brands even oh, yeah, more so sure. than, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's just, uh, it, it's a, it's a lifestyle for me. You know, I wake up every day thinking, how do I, how do I make myself a better person? You know, uh, how can I, I tweak, how can I tweak my diet, my exercise regime, my other wellness practices? And, uh, and so I, I could spend, you know, I, I guess that's my lane. People ask mm -hmm. me all the time, like, Hey, you want to look at this tech deal? I'm like, I, I don't, uh, not the, you know, I'm well read, but I'm like, I, I have, I don't, I don't know enough to be dangerous and it's not that interesting, but you know, show me the, the next company that's making, uh, uh, you know, uh, an organic functional mushroom. I'm like, yeah, uh, that sounds good. I, I, I love that. And, and it's had an impact on my diet and my lifestyle and, and, and I probably want to investigate more, you know? Yeah. Um, no, I like that a lot. I, I do think it's interesting. I, are you wearing the aura ring? Is that what that is on your yeah, hand? Yeah. I have an aura ring. Yeah. So I, I, I just, I'm not, it's charging, but I usually wear a whoop. So I, I kind of have the same thing. And I feel like in the health yeah. and wellness space, what you just said resonates with a lot of people. Like I think a lot of entrepreneurs in our space, like they're trying to optimize everything. It's like not yeah. just the business, yeah. right? it's like the life and the health. Well, the you learn that. I mean, I, I, I went through kind of a burnout, you know, and, and so when I at, at uh, just went through burnout because the business was growing so fast and there was there was so much time that was needed in the business. And I. I, I started to let myself like slip, you know, where I already been that through that before after being a 300 pound person that was totally out of shape and then losing a hundred pounds and getting into health and, and like really being, you know, in my early twenties, uh, uh, in that space by 40, I kind of let it happen again. And I was like, Oh mm. yeah, I could sleep six hours a night. That's not going to affect me. Oh, you know, I, you know, I, I could sacrifice that meal because I got this, this uh, meeting or whatever. And like, it's a slippery slope. And so, you know, coming out of it three years ago, I was like, never again, I'm going to do that. And, uh, and then I've just learned a lot like sleep come on uh, you know i've had an aura ring and tracking my sleep for for three years like you 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 one you you can't um improve what you don't measure yeah. when you start measuring things and you start to say oh yeah um actually you know all those nights that uh, that i slept five or six hours and i thought i was just tired i'll catch up on my sleep no you're a bag of shit your muscles didn't heal your brain didn't recover like you're just you're a, you're a lesser of a human you know like yeah I, I, and i and i've been so bold to say uh, because I think sleep is so fundamental out of any of the health things first, it, like tired is the new stupid, you know, like you need to sleep really well. Um, then from there you need to like drink lots of good water. And then from there you need to, you need to eat a good uh, diet of clean food. And then you could talk about exercise and, and cleansing and meditation and wellness and all these things, which I, I keep experimenting with myself. You know, I've been fascinated with, um, with ice baths over the last you know year or so Love and it. Uh, yeah and and it has been a game changer for next level kind of um both for 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 mental and physical health for me and and so yeah i i'm a human guinea pig on myself and i, I think there are a lot of entrepreneurs in the natural product space because there's the you know natural product space could also say you know it, it, the health food uh market is intertwined with that that Definitely. they want to they want to optimize themselves they want to be the best self that they could be Right. Oh, I love that. The ice ice bath thing I've been trying to get into as well. Do you do you have any like what do you use? Did you just buy one of the nice like plunges or one of those bad no, boys? You know, I'm I'm uh, uh I'm fortunate that I, I have a big soaker tub in my house and I live uh, now in the country and my well is always uh four degrees Celsius, like forty degrees uh, Fahrenheit. So I don't have to put any ice in there. It's just fill it up uh and it's ready to go and um 
and I got myself up to, you know, a four or five minutes soak in there. And, uh, I do not, it, 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 I was just thinking about it this morning. Uh, like I do not like to go in there any day that I'm doing it. And it's the act of actually telling myself, I know this, how good this feels, uh, you know? And so oh, yeah. just go and do it. It's kind of like working out, you know, the days that you, you don't feel like working out is probably the day that you need to work out the most, like shake it 100%. out and go and lift something or whatever. And so yeah. after, after you get through it and you get to, you get through the gym workout, you're like, oh yeah, I knew I needed to do that. So uh, ice bath is, uh, and, and I've seen my, I've seen the effects on my, on my skin, on my metabolism, on my sleep, like it's, uh, you know, on inflammation in my body and like having less aches and pains. And so now I'm, um, uh, uh, it's, it's part of the regular, um, and I've been, you know, just listening more to the, um, some of the researchers and PhDs on like, what, what are the physiological, uh, and, and physical effects of, of, um, of, of, you know, cold treatment like that. So usually 10, probably 10 to 12 minutes a week, uh, split up between, uh, uh, different episodes is where I've been now for, you know, a good part of like six months or something. Good for you, man. Yeah, yeah. I, I recently this year I bought a sauna for the house. That was yeah. the heat, but I want to get the ice plunge. I go like yeah. the back, do, and yeah, forth. back to back. So I go usually twenty. Like I have, I have a, I have a sauna and a infrared sauna in the house, which because I like to do both. They're a little different, but I, I on the on the heat sauna, I'll go twenty minutes at like two hundred, and and uh, and you're just inferno from that. Yeah. And the heat shot proteins are like going off, and then go into the cold plunge after that, and that's a that takes 30 minutes uh and and it, and it and it it's it, you know it could you feel like a brand new person like uh, i do anyway it's it's like a, a ultimate spa day you know yeah uh, right right in your yeah. house yeah right in your house in 30 yeah. minutes yeah no, i love that yeah yeah i'm with you i know um i there's a lot of flack i feel like about you know some of these health products and just like the validity maybe like i know the whoop has gotten some some feedback recently on just like the inaccuracies yeah. and well it's nothing's perfect right so i and, and yeah. i i could never wear a watch uh, i tried i had the apple watch i never would the, so the, the i like the aura ring because i was i was always could wear a ring and it didn't bother me but when i had something on my wrist especially when i was sleeping i just didn't i didn't like it and um but none of them are perfect they're yeah. not supposed to be perfect nothing's imperfect in life it, you know it's not uh one could say it's kind of like watching your speedometer and your RPM gauge in your car. Um, although those are probably a little more precise, but it's about getting to know yourself uh, right. and then making changes in your, in your life that, that you measure a positive impact, you know, like when people ask me about the whoop, I always say um, it's not like, even if I have like a low recovery, it doesn't necessarily mean I'm not going to go exercise. Uh, it just, it's a tool that helps me be a better version of myself. Like, yeah. you know, yeah. it, it's an accountability tool at the end of for the sure. day yeah. for me. Like if I had too many drinks on a Friday night and Saturday, I'm a POS. Well, that's, you can look at your date and you're like, there you go. You, yeah. You know, I, I like a glass of wine. I know one glass of wine doesn't have the impact one and a half or two glasses of wine. I'm like, my deep sleep is, is down. Uh, you know, my recovery is down. I can wake up in the morning feeling tired and groggy, but then you look at the results and it's kind of, it's the same, you know, so they kind of match up and you go, Okay, let me be more mindful of that. Same thing with screen time. I've learned that, like you know, if I if I I need to have a good hour at least of no screen time before I go to bed, or mm. or or it's just a shitty night's sleep, and and I don't want a shitty night's sleep, and so I cut off the screen, and then I usually read for the last hour before I go to bed, and and that that just knocks me into like the deepest of deep sleep, and wake up and feel great. I love that. That's one I need to get better at. I'm I'm bad at like working up until pretty much you know the end of the day. Um, that's that's a good one though. Just close the get the screen time off. Really yeah, the cool. La, the, the last hour, I think. Yeah, and you know what we talk about this everything. There's there's no there's no one right routine for everybody. Mm -hmm. It's it's about being a guinea pig on yourself and learning learning like uh, 
great morning routines that work for other people, great nighttime routines that work for other people, great, great food and diet and exercise routines that work for other people and then try them on yourself and then put yeah. your own, put your own program together. That's that, that is the, uh, that is the best way. And, and, uh, and, uh, and I would encourage everyone to do that instead of thinking, Oh, you know, Hey, Mike just said that ice baths work for him. And then I tried, I don't really like it. To, it's not feeling good for me and keep on doing it. You know, go, go and do something else, you know? Uh, Definitely. Yeah. Although I do think the order I, I, ring, I, one I, question I always have is, is yeah. can you lift weights with it? I do. And I scratch the hell out. This is my second one. Uh, okay. and so yes, I do. Uh, it is, um, I've had this one now for uh, a year. It's the gen, I think the third generation of it. Um, uh, and I scratch it up, you know, I, sure. I it's, yeah. it's part of, I look at it and I go, okay, it's not pretty, but it shows, I could see all the, uh, I could see all the bar marks in it and, uh, and somehow that's so it's, it's okay. Isn't that cool. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. like I have a scar, right? Yeah. Yeah. Love it. I was like, cause I have a wet, like a gold wedding band and I always have to put the Quelo or the Kalo band on. Um, so I've always been curious with the, with the aura. That's interesting. Yeah. I like yeah. the look of the aura better than the whoop. Yeah. I just don't notice it, you know, and, and, uh, and it goes, I guess like seven days without charging it. So I, I generally don't, uh, think about it. And, uh, and now, you know, after uh, three years of having it, I, I, um, uh, I stay away from, um, generally stay away from like daily looking at it. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I, uh, and I look at my weekly trends, um, and then, and then that informs me a lot better. I find, you know, instead of like, um, being be reactionary obsessed. for the day or yeah, being obsessed. And I had that for a bit, just looking at it and saying, okay, I just want to see what the, what, it, what the report would be every day. Now I just find, yeah, like same thing with like screen time on my phone and on my computer. I'm not looking at my screen time on my phone on my computer every day, or it'd probably freak me out. But once a week, I want to see that trend going, Okay, because I you know have some targets for myself of 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 uh, monitoring that because you know it is work. It's how I work, but I don't. It's uh, it's also you know it could be a uh, it could be too much, right? So. Yeah, that, that was to say that's the one downside I've noticed with the whoops. Sometimes I wake up and I'm like, oh, I, I almost like get stressed opening it to see if I'm green, yellow, or red. I'm like, you should. Yeah. I mean, just go do what you gotta do. You know, <laughs> don't like be a placebo. If you wake up and you're red, and you're like, oh, now I can't work out as well. It's like, no, just. You got to you gotta get up and just keep your habits going, but interesting. Um, very cool, Mike. Well, I know um, some of the brands that you're invested in now, I mean, very popular in the CPG space, I would say, right? And I, and it's funny, Midday Squares is, is one of the reasons I reached out to you because I've known Jake for a long time and I've had him on here a few times. And it's funny, I mean, it seems like you have a good sense of just picking up trends and brands and people um, early on before sometimes they pop. And it was funny because I think I had Jake on um, in 2020. So kind of like right when I kicked this off during COVID. And I remember at the time, him specifically, at that time, he was he was getting some sort of popularity. But I think there was a lot. There was also a lot of like, what is this guy doing? And it's funny how you fast forward two years later. And now I, my opinion has been for the last two years, really, like you're going to see a lot of brands trying to like do what they're doing. And they're behind now. Um how do you think you've gravitated towards some of these brands like Midday Squares? Was it was it some of that, like just the way they're approaching bringing their product to market? Is it you know their financials? What are like some yeah. of the key things you look yeah, at? Yeah, it's like pro- pro- product first. So I, you know, I met uh, I met uh, Jake, Les, and Nick at the Canadian Health Food Association. You know, so I do the rounds of trade shows, and I wasn't into social media before. So I, I um, it was only since the pandemic that I got into LinkedIn, and and which is a whole nother level of kind of scoping and seeing the market and seeing what's going oh, yeah. on. Um, cause I built a decent community there. Um, but I met him at a trade show and I, I tried the product and I was like, Oh my God, this is the best chocolate. Like I like chocolate 
Um, and it would be my, it, 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 it would be like the treat. I would have, I would have organic chocolate. And as soon as I tried it, I was like, I'll never eat another chocolate again. I'm just going to eat the, and I, at that time it was just the fudge, uh, uh, the first MDS fudge bar. And then, and then seeing their, um, seeing their, like, uh, how bold and wild they were and, yeah. uh, and then both in person, uh, and then, and then the videos and stuff that they were sharing, I, I, I could tell, I was like, this is going to be the future of, of like brand media, you know, telling the mm-hmm. real story, being wild. And, and, uh, and so it, I kind of kicked into it day one and, and, uh, and I could see, um, this was the future. And I, I've been talking to all, all my brands and just generally people that are in the industry that I talk to saying like, you need to get yourself out there. And, and, and at the same time I was building, I guess, my personal brand, like getting out on social media, um, and, and realizing the impact of the more that I share my story, not only the business stories, but like my, my personal growth story and, and, um, you know, the, the community just gets strengthened. Um, so I guess it's the, uh, you know, I call it the founder's eye because I've been through it, um, been through that growth, been through the journey. I could usually just spot them, uh, the, the success stories, you know, uh, sooner than a lot of people can. And, uh, and then, you know, the, the relationship with MDS, um, you know, everyone, especially in the last little bit wants a piece of them, right? Everyone could see now, oh yeah, there's this cool factor that you could see that they're going to be growing whatever. And, and, uh, and I've just, you know, I built trust, uh, with the three founders over the last number of years, just saying like, Hey, I'm here to support you. And, and, um, I've been through the journey that you're going through and then, and which ultimately led us to, you know, not only being a shareholder, but, uh, joining them as a, as a, gro- a global growth advisor to the founders, uh, earlier this year in, in early 2022. And, and, oh, congrats. um, I don't know if I knew that. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I help all of them, all three of them, uh, with their, with their personal growth as entrepreneurs and, and then also the business and, and their kind of strategic planning and, and, and building this business from, from the, at least the 10 to 100 phase. Wow. That's awesome. I didn't, I don't think I knew the, the global growth piece. That's exciting. So that was my next question was going to be, it seems like with some of these brands, you have much more of a, I don't want to call it day to day, but much more of an active role. Yeah. Is, is that yeah, why with them? Yeah, 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 yeah. Of the of the ten companies in my portfolio, there's there's four or five of them that I that I actually have a uh, you know either a, a board role like nuts for cheese. Um, I chair the uh, chair the board in uh, in in midday squares and in Bloom and and uh, purposeful snacking. I'm I'm an advisor uh, advisor to the founders and yeah, it's not it's not day to day. You know, but it, I always say like it's not day to day, but it's not quarter to quarter. It's somewhere in between. Like I'm there to help them in uh, in times where they need, and then we have regular check ins and regular hangouts. And I just like to I like to strategize and be part of that growth. And whether Definitely. that means helping them find their next executive that's going to help uh, the organization, or or it's working out a strategic plan, or or specific to a customer or something. I just I love that stuff, and and. Um, and I can't really turn it off, you know, after 20 years of doing it, I, I, uh, it's, it's, it's really baked in me and I have the, uh, I have a lot of scars that I feel like I could just help others out. So they don't, they don't need to get those scars. They could just grow past it. I love that. No, I can tell you have a lot of passion behind you and just what you're doing and building. I can, I can resonate with that a lot. That that's now what I do with Amazon with a lot of brands. So helping it's just, you know, when you find something in the space, I think that you, you really like, and you enjoy, it doesn't, I mean, I'm sure you feel the same way. Like it doesn't feel like a job. It just feels like a passion that you're pursuing, which is sure. a totally different yeah. feeling. Yeah. We all got to do something like after, after selling the business, like and I tell entrepreneurs, it's like, if you, th- 
if you think the destination is like uh, create success and then you can sit on a beach somewhere, uh, I tell you, it doesn't work. Like after after a couple of months, the majority of people will go crazy. Like you have to do something. And so like what that. actually goes to like, what do you want to do? Like, hey, if you want to sell umbrellas on the beach and, and stuff, maybe maybe that'll take you there. But like you have to have a passion. You have to live your passion. You have to have a purpose. And uh, and I, I just I, I love I love health um, and, and wellness and, and, I, and I love growing. And so, you know, that's that's what keeps me like the natural product space, I'd, I'll do it for free. You know, like I'm just, uh, I, uh, it, it doesn't feel like, it doesn't feel like work for me. It just feels like what I, what I intend, what I want to do each day. Yeah. So uh, this question just came to my mind, Mike, you've, you've obviously built companies from nothing to something and, and sold and had a lot of success. You're now working with what I would consider a lot of the the next big names that are coming up in the space. Would you ever think about getting back in and creating a product again? Is that something you ever have an itch to do? You know, I'm, uh, I'm old enough to say that I, I don't I never say never, you know, yeah. but I am, um, clearly still a recovering entrepreneur. Um, <laughs> it's been three years since, you know, four years now, since I, uh, almost since I haven't operated a business and, uh, and, and so, you know, I, I, I like, I like being involved in all those strategy and helping grow, but not, not having that day job. And maybe the closest thing that I've been getting to that is, um, you know, my, my personal business, my investment business, my, my, I, I'm an advisor, I'm a, I'm a coach, um, to, to, uh, to entrepreneurs. I just wrote a book that I'm launching next year. There's a decent amount of business, uh, yeah. that I, that I do that as a solopreneur, you know, um, but you know, to be able to get in and, and, and build another business, um, I, I don't see it right now. I'd rather, I'd rather, um, be diversified and, and maybe I'll add another, five or 10 companies to my portfolio over the next several years. And, and uh, that'll be my way to, uh, to, to contribute and grow outside of, um, um, you know, my own personal media and, and, and some of the things that I'm sharing there. That sounds awesome. I mean, it sounds like an exciting journey you're on now. I love that recovering entrepreneur. That's a, that, a lot of people probably resonate with that. If they, well, yeah, a lot, a, lot of, a lot of entrepreneurs feel like that already. They're like, yeah. uh, I think I'm already in that space. How do I get, how do I get out? You know? And, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's amazing. I love it. Um, as we're kind of winding down in time, Mike, I have a couple questions I'd love to ask everyone I have on here, and I, I assume you're probably going to have some pretty pretty great responses. Um, the first one is just – so you have a lot on your plate now, even, even though you're not operating a business. You, I feel like you have just kind of like tentacles in a lot of different places. What do you use from a tool perspective to you know plan goals, whether that's just like long-term goals, yearly goals – all the way down to like what you're getting done today. Are you a pen and paper guy? Are you some sort of app guy? Like what's your, your way of getting shit done? Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I switched over from pen and paper to fully digital electronic like 10 years ago. And, uh, I like outlook is my, is my biggest tool. I, I time block, uh, things that I need to do. So obviously, you know, meetings and stuff are normally in the calendar, but if I have to work on a, on a presentation, I'm working on my book, um, 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 I'm doing a task, it'll be in my calendar. So most of my calendar, uh, on the days that I'm really cranking, it'll, it'll, it'll be full in the calendar, um, including my workouts and stuff. Like just so I know what I'm doing at that time, it's really, really helpful for me. And it keeps me away from, you know, uh, lists. Um, I just, I found over the years, lists don't work so well for me. Like I can have my aspirational list, which I, I, I do once a year on my, my top five focus areas for personal growth, my top five focus areas for business growth and my top five personal areas for, uh, areas for, for, uh, family. Um, and, uh, and those, those, 
those are my kind of North star over the year of just areas that I, that I want to uh, spend more time on, but yeah, everything is in the calendar and, and, and broken out. And then, you know, I'm, I'm really excited about, you know, learning about all these like, uh, uh, new tools or new to me anyway. So like Calendly is one that you know, this year I finally, I knew it for the last year. I was like, I think I want to do it and just set it all up because again, I'm a solopreneur. I don't have a, you know, I used to have an EA and uh, I didn't, and, and, I, and now I'm like, I don't want even an assistant. I like doing my own thing, but you know, whether it's a, uh, whether it's a mentorship call, uh, that someone wants to have a 20 minute chat with me, it's one of my coaching calls, paid clients coaching. It's one of the, uh, portfolio companies. If, if I'm, if I'm recording founder to mentor podcast, everything's loaded in Calendly right now. I could send one link to someone, no going back and forth. It, it pops in there. It has everything. I, I just love that. It's a, uh, it's a phenomenal tool. Calendly is one I've been so hesitant to start doing. Maybe so more so because I'm like client facing. Like I work yeah. with a lot of like I have a lot of clients that I work with. Yeah. Um I know for the longest time it felt very like uh like fill out hit my hit my link. Yeah, I felt fill, I, believe me, I felt rude. Yeah. I I've actually felt rude on some people saying, Hey, well, this is how it goes. And I guess it is on the it's on the inbound, right? So like I've had people inbound me and go, Hey, can I connect with you? And, uh, and I'm like, Okay, yeah. and then they're like, Here's this calendly link, and I'm like, What? <laughs> you know, like that, yeah, that, that felt that part that part felt, felt rude. But when people are coming for my time, um, and, and I want to give them some time, it's, it, I, I think then it's a, like, I give them a link and everyone's like, Hey, I'm so happy to be able to get your link. But if I'm going after, you know, so, uh, a meeting myself, uh, I'm, um, that's important to me, uh, that it's a new relationship or whatever. I'm not like, Hey, throw on my calendar links. I think, sure. I, I think that's impersonal. Like there is, but, but as, as far as a tool of, of afterwards, not going back and forth. Yeah. When next Tuesday, Tuesday, 12, no, I can't do Tuesday. Can you do Wednesday? Instead of just like one link and you send it out, it, it's probably say it'll, it'll probably <sighs> save me days per year yeah. in, in scheduling. And, and I just, some of those efficiencies like that, I, I, um, uh, it, it, it I, I used to think about the, like when I started business in 1998, we started with the facts. I yeah. used to have yellow sticky notes. I wow, used to write yeah, everything right. down in lists and all that stuff. And it's super inefficient. Now I'm just kind of going more and more for efficiency so I can, I could do more for, for, and still maintain my kind of solopreneurship. I love the time blocking. I, I've gone back and forth of doing that. And then, you know, I, I, I've changed my routine so many times, but the time blocking thing is great, especially with, I, I love the the fitness one that I do that as well. It's like an appointment with myself that I know. I mean, I work out in the morning kind of before my day gets crazy just because yeah. I, I feel like it's hard for me to switch to that at the end of the day. But I like that a lot. Um, I always talk about doing something you, like if you want to, if you want to accomplish something, it's like, how do you put something either weekly or I like to do daily, like something small daily that just you do if you do seven days a week and then it turns into two weeks and three weeks, like it's a habit. Um, and if it's in the calendar and you know, you're going to spend this amount of t- much time every day doing it, or you move it around. I love that idea though. That's yeah. great. Cause it's, I'm bad yeah. at putting too much on my list every morning. And then I know I'm not going to get through it all. And then yeah. you're kind of defeated at the end of the day. If well, you don't well, that's why, that, that's why. And I still like, that's why I like it right in my calendar, because even if something comes up and I don't, I, I it's not, it's a non-critical, it's kind of a list item, but it's in my calendar. I can drag and drop it to the next day or, or kind of reorganize. So I'm always reorganizing my next day, my next kind of couple days and my next week, having a view to that. It, it's, it's really helpful for me. And as I'm thinking about kind of 2023 and going forward, I start to think like um, organizing certain days of the week for certain tasks. So like mm. uh, doing doing my podcasts and interviews and stuff on a certain day a week, working with a portfolio companies on one day of the week, you know, uh, doing my own, my my book and my PR and my personal brand stuff one day of the week, just so you less flipping hats and, and yeah, you can be great. more efficient. You know, I'm, I'm very conscious of, of flow state and, and doing deep work in flow state, how much easier it is. And, and, mm. uh, and so, you know, just continue to optimize that. 
Yeah, I think uh, I think it's the Elon Musk thing too. At one point, he talked about like certain days, like yeah. it was a one Tesla, day SpaceX. One day. Yeah. yeah, well, I mean, you Which have to, wild, right? If not, right? If, if if not, like even when I was uh, uh, running a business, like you know, I try to be like, hey, I got to have all my marketing meetings on one day. I can't go marketing ops, sales, marketing ops, finance in one day. Like it's just it, you, you get less efficient because you can't. You're not deep into that work. You're 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 you're, you're it's more superficial just because you're you're flipping hats, right? That makes so much sense. Yeah, no, I totally, I'm totally with you on that one. That's great. Um, the next one, Mike is source of knowledge. So obviously you, you definitely are, are dialed in. What would you suggest to everyone listening today? Either, a you know, a podcast, a book, just something you've read or listened to recently that you think is worth the listener read to everyone today. I'm reading. I love reading. And, uh, and again, I like, I, I read now, uh, the last hour of, uh, of the day, uh, I'm reading limitless, um, uh, right now, um, you know, I love a lot of Tim Ferriss's uh, books. I, I uh, Lewis Howes is a is a uh, is is a good follow of mine. Gary Vee, obviously, you know, just I've been following and reading his stuff for a long time. Uh, Jay Shetty as well for inspiration. Um, you know, LinkedIn is a uh, is a source for me for all the industry stuff. I can kind of see what's new and what's going on. And so, you know, I probably put a good. Um, I put a probably good hour to to hour and a half a day between social and then some of my some of my uh, uh, online kind of uh, media sources and then an hour to reading and um, and those are really kind of helpful uh, for me. Love it. No, appreciate that. That's great. And then the last one, most important, uh, if you want to plug anything or if you, for people listening who want to learn more about you, whether it's I'll, I'll add like your LinkedIn and website and yeah. stuff. But if there's anything specific you want people to check out while they're listening today. For sure. Yeah. I mean, MikeFata.ca, so MikeFata.ca has, is my kind of one-stop shop now. I just built a n- new website this year. And so oh, it has my, uh, it has my podcast. It has my, you know, the, so founder of the mentor podcast, people can check out. I, I interview some of the, uh, some of the top founders and, and bring some of their growth stories forward. Um, I started writing the unstoppable entrepreneur newsletter. Um, and so people can check that out if, uh, out if they want, um, uh, fatafleischman.org is my mass mentorship, uh, free toolbox. So, uh, Greg Fleischman and I basically downloaded our hard drives of all, all of our files, HR files, sales and marketing, strategic planning docs, investor presentations, oh, all wow. that for, for free, um, at fatafleischman.org. And, um, and so that's one of my big givebacks. It's been written up on Forbes, uh, like 10,000 entrepreneurs now are, are, have used and are using the, uh, the toolbox. Um, so those are my, those are my main projects. And then, and then my book, uh, my book comes out, uh, April in March, it launches uh, March, 2023. So that's going to be the, uh, um, the title is grow 12 unconventional lessons for becoming an, an unstoppable entrepreneur. And I think uh, a lot of entrepreneurs are going to get something from that. I can't wait. I'll definitely be on the list of readers there. I can't wait to check that out, Mike. Sweet. Awesome. Well, again, thank you so much for taking the time to come on. I can't thank you enough. It was great to finally connect and meet you and hear a little more about your story. And um, let's stay in touch. Yeah, man. Thanks again for having me. Absolutely. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate it, man.